Give me your hand Let's agree together That all of our enemies Will crumble at our feet Whatever we bind on earth Shall be bound in heaven At the name of Jesus Satan has to flee Oh, we've got the power In the name of my Jesus We've got the power In the name of the Lord Though Satan rages We shall not be defeated got the power in the name of the Lord for many years now Satan's tried to stop us but the bride of Jesus Lord we're still alive like a mighty army we'll keep marching Winning every battle Cause the Lord's on our side Oh, we've got the power In the name of my Jesus We've got the power In the name of the Lord Though Satan rages shall not be defeated with the power in the name of the Lord. Amen. You believe the words you're singing? Amen. Though Satan rages, and he does, but we cannot be defeated. Amen. Not because of our might, but because of his promise. And his word will never pass away. And he's greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen. I appreciate that statement from this morning. No matter how strong the false looks, it's still false. No matter how weak the truth looks, it's still the truth. And the truth will prevail. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. Amen. I know many are expecting a mission report tonight, and we will get to that. Figured I'd do that after I spoke. That way I can guarantee you I have to be short-winded. Amen. And you'll have to stay tuned. No going to sleep. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, I just want to take a start of a thought this evening and, and something that's just been burning on my heart and I maybe just lay a, a few things in that uh, will be able to stand on their own but also would lay a foundation for something in the future. But uh, let's just maybe bow our heads together first and invite the Lord to come and make his word real to our hearts. We can read them all we want but without him to give the revelation, they are words on a page but with revelation they are spirit and they are life. 
Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, for being able to come into your house, Lord, for the ability, Lord, to gather together with saints of like precious faith. Lord, to be able to drive, Lord, in a comfortable vehicle and arrive and sit in a nice air-conditioned building, Lord. And Father, to be able to sit and earnestly hear the word of God and that our hearts would burn within us, Lord. And not just that there would be a burning that is unknown, but Lord, that it would be revelation, Lord, to us, that it would be a wine that comes, a new wine, Lord, that would give us, Lord, a stimulation, Father, to strengthen us, Lord, and give us courage and strength and joy throughout the days that lay ahead, Father. We know that Satan has a punch coming to every one of us, but Lord, if we keep our eyes on you, all things are possible to them that believe. So, Lord, as we look into your word, Lord, we want to say, first of all, we believe it with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, Lord. It is life to us, Father, and now we ask you come and break the bread of life. Do it again as we know, Lord, you have done before. We ask it in Jesus' name now. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, I'll just read a couple verses here, verse 22 and 23. It says, Then Peter took him. Maybe let's back up one verse, sorry, to verse 21. I apologize. It says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raise again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of man. Amen. Let's turn to one more place in the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 25. <clears throat> it says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. Amen. May the Lord us blessing to the wording of the word. You may have your seats. Amen. I just want to speak for a few minutes largely on, on Peter as I've been just going through and reading the life of Peter and studying uh, Peter as a man and, and as a servant of God and just pondering and meditating upon him a lot. But if we could just open, uh, open up our hearts to understand, first of all, Peter was a man. All right, we don't look at the disciples and say, well, they were all gods. No, they were men just like you and I. They, had, they were subject to like passions just like we are. They went through trials, temptations, and things like we do. They were called from backgrounds, sometimes less than... Um, what we would consider to be a good person. Uh, One of them was a zealot, and the zealots were not known to be necessarily nice people, 
but rather they were known to take vows, that they would do something and they, and they wouldn't even eat until it was done and they would they lived their life by the blade and they were kind of the special forces of the Judaist, um, Judaism, if I could say it that way. But they, they weren't that, they were kind of that way. Levi was a tax collector. There were ones that were publicans, Levi Matthew as we know him and different ones. But Peter was a man that was a fisherman, was an unlearned man, was not educated, couldn't sign his own name, Brother Branham would say, was not one that you would look to as being someone that you would say, that's the man I'd give the keys to my kingdom to, or that's the kind of individual I've been looking for to run my business all these years. And that's the kind of person I really want to put in charge of, of the operation I'm putting together. He wasn't that kind of an individual that was striking to you, but God saw something in him beyond what man saw in him. And God looked beyond all the hurts and the failures and the, and the sin and all of those things and seen in him a seed gene of himself that he knew this was the one that he was looking for. And in, in this scripture, it begins to give us a bit more insight into the kind of a person that, that Peter was, and I'll say it this way, and that is that Peter was like any of us that they, we have biases and different things that attach themselves to us from our growing up. And, and Peter even, I would say it this way, had a spirit that attached himself to Peter that continued to operate in a realm of emotional feelings in Peter's life. As, as this began to come out, and we know that this had just happened where Peter had had, 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 had had this revelation from God that Jesus was the son of the living God, that he was the Christ, that he was the one, and God had just spoken to him, said, upon this rock, not Peter, but upon this revelation, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It was a great time, maybe a spiritual mountaintop, but now as he comes to this point, something in Peter begins to rise up as Jesus begins to explain his eternal purpose to his disciples. What had happened previously was, was something that was taking place. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do you say that I am? But then as, as that came forth, he began to describe to them what must happen to him. As he begins to say that the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees, and I must die, and on the third day I'll raise again. He's not describing to them something that is easy to understand in a carnal mindset. He's describing to them his eternal purpose. Why did I come to earth? I didn't just come here to heal the sick and, and, and set the captives free. That was part of it. That was this day the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. But there was a greater purpose in the coming of Jesus Christ. And that was to die for our sins. That he would be the sacrifice once and for all. That he could go and make the atonement for on our behalf. Amen. But rather, as he begins to describe this eternal purpose to them, he begins to rise up, something rises up in Peter and begins to rebuke the word for his day. As you begin to rebuke Jesus, and he didn't do it. Listen, Peter was not doing it out of malicious intent. Peter was saying these words because of an emotional attachment to the man. Because he had, uh, had so built himself around the man Christ Jesus. And no matter what eternal purpose he was describing to him, he had a purpose in his own mind that this was the Messiah. He was going to set up the kingdom. This is the way it's going to be. This is how it's going to unfold itself. And anything that even would come out of Jesus' own mouth... He was unable to accept it at that time because there was something in him that was attached. 
on an emotional level to to say, no, you're the man. You're going to set it up. This is how it's going to happen. They're not going to kill you. You're not going to have to raise on the third day. Why would we go through all this when we're just going to set up the kingdom? And you said the kingdom is here. Preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why are we going down this road? It was something that began to express itself through Peter. And we know that in this expression, Jesus then turns to him and says, Satan. He doesn't even address Peter, but he addresses the something, I'll say it that way, or the spirit that had attached itself onto Peter and had begun to speak through Peter and said, oh, far be it from you to go on this. But he says, Satan, get behind me because thou art an offense to me. Amen. And, but, but what was the reasons that, that he was saying that he, you are an offense to me? It wasn't just you're an offense to me because you say things, but you're an offense to me because you do not savor the things of God, but because you savor the things of man. That was the offense of this spirit. And I just want to say it in this way, that th- this was not... Perhaps as we would look at, at, at demon possession, and we would look at it and see maybe demon possession as, as the serpent in the Garden of Eden, that Satan would come into the serpent and begin to speak directly through him to Eve and begin to deceive Eve. But that was not the kind of, I'll say, possession that, that Peter was dealing with. This wasn't the, the, the maniac of Gadara that had, thou, that had legion 2,000 demons upon him and he began to thrash and break trains and do all these things. It wasn't in that way. It was just a spirit that began to latch itself onto a man that walked so close to God. But it was a spirit that could not accept the eternal purpose of God. And it, began, it was a spirit that would operate itself many times in the uh, emotional level. And I'll say it this way, that, that it, it, as long as there was uh, a natural benefit, it was happy with the moving of God. It was happy with the supernatural. It was Peter that was there when, when, when he said, can I, can I borrow your boat and I'll teach from your boat. And then he cast out a little bit and cast her down on the right side. Peter was pretty excited when he got a boat full of fish. That's any fisherman's dream. I've just caught a whole net full and the, the boat's sinking and everything's going down because I've caught so many fish. He was okay with that. It was supernatural what God was doing. That was not anything a man had done, but that was a supernatural I'll say bona fide miracle that God did, but yet in that, that spirit was still attached onto Peter and he could rejoice in it because he was looking at it saying, there's a natural benefit. Okay, it was, it was Peter that, that even he was okay with feeding the, the masses. That was great because there was a natural benefit. He was there all the time. He was there when they raised Jairus' daughter from, the, from being dead. He was there through going through the pool of Bethesda and raising up the, the impotent man and all these different miracles that was going on and the, the thousands, if not more than that, tens of thousands that Jesus was healing. As John said, if we wrote everything that Jesus did, I suppose the world couldn't contain it. But all the miracles that were there, Peter stood there and as long as there was a natural benefit to what was happening, he was perfectly okay with it. There was no rebuking to God, but when it came to the eternal purpose of God that you could look at it 
tendency. It was only sacrifice. And in a carnal eye, you could not see the natural benefit. He began to rebuke him because he realized that this isn't something that I can physically, tangibly put my hands on as being the, the, the blessings of God, not realizing the eternal purpose of God in your life is the greatest blessing you'll ever have. Even though quite often and almost always it does not present itself in an outward manner. The eternal purpose of God is not your wealth. It's not your job. It's not even your health. Or I'll say it this way, Brother Ron Spencer would be 100% healthy right now. But that's not the eternal purpose of God. In there, there's healing. In there, there's salvation. In there, there's blessings. But in all of that, the eternal purpose of God was to have a bride of Jesus Christ. As we know, it's a threefold purpose that he would, in the third fold, have the preeminence in a body church. So that Christ would have the preeminence in you, so you would be the living interpretation of the word of God in our day. There's the purpose of God, and that doesn't come in a form of wealth. That comes in a form of Jesus Christ living. Living out through the individual. It was even there in the next chapter, after even Peter was rebuked, that spirit didn't leave right away because even after he was rebuked, they went up on Mount Transfiguration. And as, as, as Jesus was transfigured before them, there was Moses and there was Elijah there. Still Peter looked at something through a natural eyes. He said, it was so good that we be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's make this a blessing to everyone. But the purpose of God said, don't tell anyone until I've gone what happened here. But, 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 but I want to build three tabernacles. Because that's the way the natural mind looks at things. That's the way that operates. And I'm purposely using these terms because I don't want to get into um, how this relates in filial love and agapo love and, and, and discernment of true love. Because... I want to save that for another time, and if I'm going to be half an hour this evening, I need to not get into filio and agapo love. But, but, but Peter was, was struggling with this, and, and if I could say it this way, and, and just to make it very plain to you, the Spirit stayed with him until he repented after he denied Christ three times. And he found true repentance there because after that repentance, there came another miracle just like it was the first one where he said, just cast your net over on the right side in John chapter 21. Just cast your net over the other side. And he pulled it in, and it was Peter that said, I don't care about the fish. That's my Lord on the bank. That's right. And he ran to him and left all those wonderful fish with somebody else. The things that once meant something to him didn't mean anything to him anymore after he repented of it. There was even in Matthew chapter 4, if we, if we were to look at the, the temptation of Christ, what was the temptations that the devil came to him with? They were natural things. When he came and said, turn the stones into bread, that he was looking at him saying, there's got to be a natural uh, benefit to you because he looked at it and said, that's what you need. You need this natural benefit. But Christ wasn't struggling with that spirit. He looked at it in the eternal purpose of God and said, no man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil came to him in a little more uh, um, um, deceiving way and saying, well, cast 
cast yourself off from a high place. The angels, it's written, the angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. He said, no, I won't do that. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. There was something in Christ that wouldn't look at just the natural things. In other words, he would not savor the things of man. He would only savor the things of God. That was what meant something to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But that spirit that was there, and I just want to dwell on this a little longer, that spirit that was there could not savor the eternal purpose of God. It's not that it would not, but it could not. Because that was always Satan's problem in the beginning. When he said, I can do this better than God. Jealousy was found in his heart. Something rose up within him that he didn't like the purpose that God had in creation. He thought he could do it better, and that was the, the spirit. So that's why when it came against him through Peter and said, Oh, that, those things will never happen. He said, Satan, get behind me. Why? Thou art an offense to me. The word offense is translated as an opportunity to fall. In other words, Satan is nothing but an opportunity to fall. That is his entire intent to the bride, to the elect, to cause her to fall. If Satan, it was Satan speaking through a man, but it, wasn't, it, it, but it wasn't Peter. It was Satan that was an offense to God. Peter was not an offense to God, but Satan was an offense to God. The spirit that was on him. And listen, Satan is not offering anybody an alternative to God. Today, Satan is not offering an alternative to you. He's not saying, yes, you could believe the word, but. No, he's not offering you an alternative as something that will help you in a different way. No, Satan is not offering that. Neither is he offering entertainment or distraction for your benefit. Satan is a deceiver. He's a liar and he's a destroyer. That is what he is. There is no, there is no good found in him. He's not offering you something to say, well, you can serve God or I'll give you something better. He presents it as something better, but it is not an alternative. He is a liar to begin with and the father of it. He's a deceiver. He chose the minds of people as a battleground and he loves, I'll say it this way, scorched earth tactics. Which if you know what that is, it was scorched earth tactic is something that a general or a, 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 someone that's conquering, someone that would lead an army, that's something they use when they're not trying to take over the land for the betterment of it. They go in and they scorch it, they burn it, and then they back out and let the people starve. And then they come back in and they conquer that way. But there's nothing left. It's just hardship. It's hurt. It's pain. It's, it's famine. It's all of these things. It's, it's not a good thing. But that's the way Satan attacks. He comes in presenting himself as something good for you, but only for the purpose of destroying your mind. Because Satan is trying to make it and turn our minds into such a mush, into such a, a horrible place, till we cannot make the right decision. Because God is trying to, to, to mold and shape a bride to be, to be rulers over the world, to be able to make the right decision. That's God's eternal purpose, to make you, to bring his character and mold his character into you so you can make the right decision in every situation. Satan's purpose is the opposite of that, that he decides and he desires so that you would not be able to make the right decision. 
without getting too political, that's why we are where we are today. Because that's where the leadership is. Their minds have been so corrupted. They've believed a delusion. They've become that way so they cannot make the right decision. No matter how much you can say, well, please, maybe this one will get voted and that one will get voted. And they'll make. No, they can't make the right decision because there's no character there. Hallelujah. The eternal purpose of God, that he might have the preeminence in the people. Satan is an offense to the eternal purpose of God. Because he does not savor the things of God. A savor is a sweet smell. It's an enjoyable odor. It's something that you would desire to linger and even to increase. If you savor something, it means that you desire it to be there. And don't go away. I desire you in my presence. I desire that. I desire more of you. I desire more of this smell. I desire more of this presence. I want more. That's to savor something. He's saying you don't savor the things of God, but you savor the things of man. In other words, you don't desire more of God, but you're desiring more of the things of men. That to God, to his eternal purpose, is an offense. Has Satan becomes an offense to you? Satan savors the things of man. He desires them to linger. He desires you to increase in knowledge and all of these things. But I'll say that it wasn't so from the beginning. That was his argument with Eve. You'll be like gods. Right? You'll know both good and evil. He presented it in a good way. Because he wants the things of men to increase. He savors those things. He's always done it. When he, when he finally come and he, he, built up tech, he built up technology, he built up civilization, and God come down and seen that the, the, the imagination of the hearts of men was continually evil, and he brought the flood and destroyed it. What happened just shortly after that, a couple of chapters later, what are they doing? They're building a tower of Babel. Why? Because Satan desires the things of men to increase. You got to do it. You got to be the one. You got to push. You got to strive. It's you. It's you. It's you. If you don't do it, if you don't watch out for number one, who's going to watch out for number one? In the first place, you're not number one. He's number one. So if you're really going to watch out for number one, it's going to be savoring the things of God. It's going to be putting him first in everything, not trying to say, well, what, how can I get better? How can I do more? Oh, my. He desires, Satan will always desire to let the ways of man prosper and do it your own way. You don't have to listen to anybody else. Just do it your way. You know best. It's your life. Why would you listen to the advice of that man up there, human, screlling, human, Screlling and human, yelling and screaming, waving his arms all over the place. Why would you listen to that? Why would you go for counseling? Why you you know better? Is that the thoughts of God? No, it's not. Satan desires for you to increase in wealth. You say, well, God desires for me to increase in wealth. Uh huh. If you put him first. But Satan desires for you to increase in wealth in your own way, prosperity. And popularity. Oh, if you just made more, you could set yourself up for the future. Oh, my. You know, Satan would love to have you think the kingdom of God needs your money. The kingdom of God needs you to surrender. 
Because if you're surrendered, he can give you money for the kingdom. But if you're seeking money, you'll never give that money to the kingdom. But he desires for you to think that way. Oh, you could pay more tithes if you made more. He's deceiving. He doesn't come at you and say, listen, forget paying tithes, you do this. No, he knows that you know you should pay tithes. So we'll try and make you say, well, you should work on Sunday because then you could pay more tithes. Work the overtime on Wednesday because then you, you could give God a bigger, you get, oh, Lord. Be careful. What are you savoring? Has Satan become an offense to you, or do you savor the things of man? And by nature, the things of God become an offense to you. Because listen, that's the scripture, Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. It does not say in the next line, you will either kind of like the one and love the other. You can kind of walk a little bit with one and really, you know, your, your heart's with the other. No, it says you'll either hate the one and love the other. Or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. And now he's not saying this is having two natural bosses. He's saying this is because the next line is you cannot serve God and mammon. He draws that contrast. Either you're going to savor the things of God or you're going to savor the things of man. And if you savor the things of man, the things of God have become an offense to you. If you savor the things of God, the things of man have become an offense to you. What's an offense? It's an opportunity to fall. It becomes a temptation to you that you're looking at going, God, if you give me that, wonderful. If you don't, that's fine because I'm savoring your eternal purpose over everything that is natural. Hallelujah. This is not just a saying that I say to the devil, you're an offense to me. But let me say it this way. Rather, it's something that Christ and each and every one of us has to say to every evil spirit that would desire to attach itself to you by the channels of your spirit to try and twist the revelation of God in your heart. That's Satan's desire. He knows if he's been born again, he desires to get in your mind to twist that revelation up, to try and get it to make you think and try and get you defeated, trying to get you down. But there's a something that Christ didn't turn around and begin to expound the scripture further to Peter. He just said, Satan, you are an offense to me. Satan will come at each and every one of us, whether you're born again or not, he'll put a thought in your mind that you know is an evil thought. And when Satan puts an evil thought in your mind, he always likes to have a little side dish with it called condemnation. He loves to put it in your mind that way. He's not just someone that just puts one thought in and says, well, that, that ought to do good enough. No, his purpose is to bring you to a place of condemnation because he wants to break the scripture. That's his purpose because he wants to break the scripture. And the scripture says, Romans 8 and 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So he wants to get you to a point where if you can be condemned in yourself, then you are not in Christ. Or so he'll make you think. Because he puts thoughts in your mind 
in an underhanded way and tries to bring condemnation behind it. But Jesus didn't accept the thought or the condemnation. He just turned to him and said, Satan, you are an offense to me. And that ought to be all of our attitudes when he tries to put thoughts in our mind knowing this isn't my thought, but Satan, you are an offense to me. Get behind me, Satan. I do not savor the thoughts that you give me. I savor God and the things of God. Hallelujah. I'm out of time, but let me just close with this thought. Satan will not condemn you into being born again. He will not condemn you into being born again before you're born again. He will tell you that it's not for you. But he isn't going to tell you that you need to be born again. Because once you're there, then you're sealed to the day of your redemption and he's lost you entirely. He doesn't want that. But God will woo you to himself. And when God does the wooing, it comes with a lovely side dish called conviction. There's a conviction in your heart to do the will of God, to perform the word of God, to do what he's calling you to do. That's different than condemnation because that's a, that, that, that's a spirit, that's something, that feeling that comes upon an individual that is very uh, joyful upon its completion. That when you come to a place that that conviction has been performed, that what you felt convicted to do, like this, if you've ever stole something and you feel convicted in your heart to go and make it right, if you go make it right, there's a great joy that follows that because you know you're walking in the will of God. Because it wasn't the devil that told you to go make that right, it's the devil that moved on you after that to say, oh, it doesn't really mean that much. But it was God that put the conviction there to say, go make it right. It was God that put the conviction there to say, I need to repent at the altar. I need to do something right. I'll say it this way. It was God that put the conviction on Peter's heart. After he denied Christ three times, Satan tried to bring condemnation, but condemnation leads to suicide just like with Judas. But conviction leads to repentance like it did with Peter. But I'll say it this way, after you've been born again, Satan will take every opportunity he can to try and make you fall. He will tell you you're not really born again because of such and such. You put whatever in there, whatever mistake he's trying to remind you of. He's trying to tell you, oh, no, 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 you don't really got it because of this and that. That's a really good sign something's happened. Because he always comes with a side dish of condemnation. To try and break the scriptures. But all, we're to cast out all those evil thoughts. Not just the evil thought about others, but about ourselves. When Satan tries to bring condemnation, tries to bring doubt, tries to bring fear, we're to cast those out and say, Satan, thou art an offense to me. Get behind me. Praise the Lord. It says in Acts 24 in closing, verse 16 says, And herein do I exercise myself and have always a conscience, that's in the spirit, a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. That's what we're called to be. Not an offense to God, but neither towards man.
Praise the Lord. Let's put the slideshow up there. Ethiopia, 2023. First of all, I just want to say thank you all so much for your prayers. It means a lot. And I'll say it goes a long way when you're on a mission field. Especially, say it this way, when the first night you're there, you get food poisoning. (laughs) The Lord knows what he's doing. I'm not worried about it. Satan comes in like a flood, but... Spirit of God always raises up a standard. And I really appreciated your prayers. Laying there in my bed going, Lord, what am I doing here? But let me tell you, it's for a purpose. Because in the end, it made me excited. The first weekend I spent very sick because I knew that's because God wanted to do something the second weekend. And he did. So we were there in Ethiopia. We arrived. We left here on May 10th. Arrived there on May 12th. Uh, it's a lot of traveling in loss of hours when you're traveling over to eastern part of Africa. Um, as here you have a map of Africa. I hope it's more clear than what Brother Ed was putting on there. Sorry. I did zoom in. This is Ethiopia here, over here on the eastern side of Africa. It is one of the largest countries in Africa as far as landmass goes. It's, there's a lot of very, very small countries over here, some larger ones. South Africa's down about here, and then uh, Ethiopia is quite large in volume. Now, if we look over here, this is considered East Africa over here on the east side of it, and this, the, the black square shows where, where we're looking at in Africa. You see around here, you have Ethiopia, it's right north of Kenya, Uganda's right here. I think there's a brother here just over from Uganda, Daniel, bless you, and uh, Somalia's right here. And uh, we actually, just this trip, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but just this trip, we, we met a man from Somalia that speaks the Somali language and, and reads and writes it. And so, Lord willing, starting right away here, they're going to be starting to translate into Somali for the first time. And uh, on the Message Hub, they'll be able to do that. This is, this is actually a, a screenshot from my trip in 2019. As I was, I was there uh, in December or January of 2000, and December 2019, January of 2020, and uh, right before um, we couldn't travel anymore for a while. But during that trip, there was approximately 135 baptized believers in the, the country of Ethiopia, which is a country of 100 million people. And this, at the time, all these yellow dots was where all the different believers were located around the country. And uh, there was a number here, 10 here, you know, 15 there, 10 there, and just a small, small number, but the word of God was going out. And since that time, now in 2023, just three and a half years later, there's approximately 700 believers across the country. Amen. Because we went from, I was there first in 2016. From 2016, there was about four Ethiopian believers. 2019, there was about 135 now in 2023, there's about 700. And talking to Brother Mogus uh, yesterday as I was putting this together and, and talking with him, Brother Mogus is the pastor in Addis Ababa in the capital there, and he was saying, 
approximately 700, he said, because it's growing so fast, I can't really keep track of it. Amen. I'll say it this way. It could be more. The brothers have lost count of exactly the increasing number. It's increasing so quickly. I had to put this in the reasons for the exponential growth. Number one. Oop, that's the wrong way. The Lord is working mightily. It's not the food. Number one, the Lord is working mightily. Amen. I don't do a mission report very often, so here we are. It's the Lord doing it, not us. He's the one that's working in, this, in, the, in, in the field there in Ethiopia. There's testimony after testimony after testimony of how God is moving. God is providing funds, providing things that the believers need. And really, in the, in the very next reason is transportation. Say, why is that so high on the list of the reason for the growth? Because remember in 2019, I came back saying the brothers, they need a vehicle. They don't have a vehicle that they can load up with, with the message books and take out to the, to the places that are far and wide, and it's very, very, very expensive to import into Ethiopia at about 215% import tax and, uh, to, in order to get things in there. But there was, uh, there was a brother since then, an anonymous brother, I don't know who it is, that came forward and said, I'll provide the funds to buy them a vehicle. Uh, the brother ended up buying, Brother Mogus ended up managing to get between the funds that that brother provided, a little bit that another brother provided, and he, he managed to have some some investments from getting married, some different things that he was able to pull out of, pull it all together, get a truck. And since then, the message has, he's been able to put the message in this truck and be able to drive out. And the message books have gone to the four borders of Ethiopia. They've managed to cover all of the, all of the country as far as east and west and, and north and south and be able to go all across and, and, and deliver every message books they have. Um, and, and the next reason, of course, is translation. They've been able to translate. They were able to give me, and I, I feel bad for taking home, actually, a Ephesians church age in the, in the Afan Oromo language, just the Ephesian church age from the church age book, but just that one chapter. They've got that one done. They've got the Laodicean church age done, along with others, which we'll get into later. But they've been able to translate. They've got a team of four brothers there that work tirelessly. One of them works full-time in the translation, and uh, three other of them work part-time in it. Well, they, well, really, they work full-time in translation, and part-time they, they support their families is the reality of it. And uh, so they, they're working nonstop. Two brothers in, in, in a fan aroma where they translate. One translate a message, the other one translate, and then they switch, and they proofread it. And then there's the other two brothers that will do Amharic, uh, um, which they, they do the same thing. One translate a book, the other one translate a book, and then they switch, and they proofread each other's work, and then it immediately gets uploaded to the message hub. And they're able to print just over in Uganda. Brother um, Telemwa Basabozi is able to, or Basabozi Telemwa is able to uh, print for them and able to do a lot of printing there as well. And they also do still printing in China where they uh, print uh, church age books and are able to send them over as well. Which right now, the material is available. They received a shipment, and I, I didn't put how many of they received because I couldn't remember if it was 1,000 or 5,000. I think it was 1,000 of Amharic church-age books that they are now down to less than 100 church-age books since their last shipment. It, it moves so fast, and it was just a, few, a couple years ago that they received it, and now it's almost all gone and uh, trying to get it out. And I, I'm very... I was so impressed to go there this time and be able to sit down in an empty library. But you understand what that means? That means they've given all the message books out. They're saying, we need more. We need printing. They, even the translators, we had a meeting with the translators, talked with them about pricing and money and how everything's going, and they said, brothers, really what we need is funds to translate, or not to translate, funds to print. We need to print more books. We, we've got 
enough translated right now. We're going to keep working on that, but we need to print more. We, the, the people are just eating it up, and they're loving it, and it just needs to go out more and more and more. Um, and then they need to, they're working on printing more right now. The other reason is dedicated, zealous brothers taking the message to the far reaches of the country. Brothers that are, uh, for me, it was an honor to, to be there with them and be able to just sit with them and talk with them. And they're, they're such fantastic brothers filled with the Holy Ghost that have such a zeal to see the word of God go out. Amen. We had, let me go this way first just for everyone that wanted to see this slide I had to put in here. This is the Ethiopian cuisine. And uh, on the bottom right, of course, is not Ethiopian cuisine. That's breakfast at a hotel. But uh, that's what really we were living on. And then the food over here, this is, this is real Ethiopian food. It tastes good, but our bodies are not used to it. And uh, the brother, Brother Ephraim, took me for a milkshake, and that was fantastic. Real fresh ingredients. And of course, one thing that deserved its own page was the coffee in Ethiopia. Coffee was invented there or discovered there, as they say, in a town called Cafe. And uh, the man seen his goats eating it and they enjoyed it. Coffee over there is not just coffee, it's a ceremony. Every single time you have to come, they, they bring you the, the, the raw beans, they make sure they're to your approval, and then they take them back and they cook them over an open little fire, and they bring them back and let you smell the aroma of the cooked beans, and then they take them back and they, they grind them up and they throw them right in the coffee pot and they make the coffee, and it's just as fresh as can be, and it tastes like hot chocolate. It's absolutely amazing. So, and of course, down the bottom right, this is, this is actually interesting. They had, this is ginger tea here, which is big there as well. And this is basically a mixture of nuts and seeds, which during the, the, the many famines that have been in Ethiopia, that was the day's meal. That was what they're used to surviving on, just some little nuts, seeds, maybe some peanuts, some, something else. I don't know what all was in there. Tasted good. But uh, that's what they ate. And of course, there's the children, a couple selfies, one selfie there. These young children here were singing in, in Amharic. They were singing, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. I looked around all over, all over. There's no one, there's no one like him. This is one of the brothers, Brother Asegid's uh, second youngest son. He just attached onto me. He was a wonderful little boy. Let's actually go back here. Can we go back, go back, go back? I put something in the wrong way. I, put, I realized after I was sitting in the back office, I put a few things in backwards, so I apologize. This, again, is a map of Ethiopia, but the first meetings that we had, we had meetings on two weekends. We had meetings on the first weekend in the capital city here of, of Addis Ababa, which in Ethiopia, they say all roads lead to Addis, and they quite literally do if you look at a road map. And then we had a second set of meetings in the second weekend down here in Awasa, and uh, Believers came from all over the place. There was believers. Um, if you've listened to the uh, Bible Way podcast, there's a, there's a testimony on there of, of a brother Joseph, um, which I'll sh maybe I'll just share more about him right now. Actually, he's he's originally he's from over here in Diradawa, I think, and uh, in the eastern part of Ethiopia, and he came all the way over to the meetings in Addis. He's a brother that Brother Tim told his testimony here. He's, he's a, he was a UPC brother, and he was reading the history of the UPC church a number of years ago now, I think about three years ago, and, uh, and as he was reading it, he, the name kept popping up, William Branham. And now he was instrumental in the establishment of the UPC church, but it kept saying he went off in the end of his ministry and began to teach things that were false. 
But then, of course, they made the mistake of beginning to describe what those false things were, such as serpent seed and the Godhead and true water baptism. And as he began to read these things, he began to go, this is the truth. Things they're calling false is the truth. And this man was a UPC minister over there. He's also an engineer, a very well-spoken brother. And, uh, and he began to see it that way, and he began to try and get in touch with who could I get in touch with in the message. And he began to look online. He actually found VGR. And as he got in touch with VGR, there was a brother that translates for VGR in Addis Ababa that goes to the church in Addis Ababa. And, uh, and they got him in touch with him. And he said, well, actually, there's a whole church here. So you can actually come over here. So he came over to see the church over there, and he was with them. And uh, he's just absolutely received the message. And I was able to watch him in the first weekend of meetings. We had four services, and he would just come alive with the word and just so fall in love with the Lord. And, and he wasn't able to be at the second set of meetings because, as I said, all roads lead to a disc. So in order to get from here down to here, you have to actually go to a disc and then down, which makes it an incredibly long journey. But there's believers that came. There's a brother that came. Um, I can't remember where exactly. He's either from here or here. That he came. He's come to every single service my dad has ever preached in Ethiopia. He would always come, and he would walk, get a bus, ride on the back of a donkey, train, whatever he had to do, to get to where he was, where the meetings were. And he's never missed a, a convention there in, in Ethiopia. And an old brother just loves the Lord. Uh, but this is where all the believers came from. All these red dots where they came from to the meetings and, and gathered in. And there is more believers up in here that were unable to make it because of the, um, the hardships that's just subsiding in the country, really, in how they, they, they had some war there recently, some tribal uprisings, and they've, they've dealt with that. And, but it's still, there's still bandits on the roads and different things going on that uh, they were unable to, to, to come down and, and be a part of the meetings. But Lord willing, we'd like to go back and go be a part of their meetings and go visit them. So this was the, the, the first week in a meeting. So this is actually the church here. I didn't put on a, a picture of, of the church they used to meet in, but originally they would meet in a, a little room in the basement of, a, of what they would call a high rise. It's about six stories tall or seven stories tall. But since then, they've managed to rent a piece of land and put up a little, a little uh, church here that uh, in the first week in a meetings, we had about a hundred and... 75 to 200 believers at the meetings, which, if you remember the numbers, that's more than there was believers in the whole country in 2019. And now just to be able to gather into to the meetings here, they've done a wonderful job uh, putting together these, this uh, um, backdrop and, and, and putting together the church they've got there. And Brother John, Brother Tito, you'll appreciate this. They like their music just like Guatemala. Loud with a speaker right in front of you. That's just, it's, it's something they do, and they do it for a reason. They do it because then it, it gets out to the people that are outside. Because there's people walking by all the time, and if they hear something going on, they hear music, they hear singing, they'll, they'll come in and sit down and, and hear the message and hear something be preached. And throughout the weekend, there was many people that would actually come in, and some would leave again. Some would come in and sit down, and they'd come back the next service, and they'd come back the next service, and God would just begin to move on their hearts that way. And so it's used for a, for a, a good a good reason, and they put together a lovely poster here on the front of their church building, of Brother Mogus on it, Brother Tim and myself, and the, the church building, you can see how nice it is inside, it didn't look like that by the end of the weekend, because this is what it looked like outside, so it was a little bit muddy and mucky, and, 
And uh, it rained while we were there, and they're trying to pave the road, but that's all right. We had a wonderful time in the Lord. Uh, we had a Friday night service. Brother Tim spoke on, uh, on the infinite God as he spoke here as well. And Saturday morning, I spoke on stand still and see the glory of God, something I'd never preached before. Uh, Sunday, Sunday evening, Brother Tim spoke on, the, on character for rulership. And that was, I'll say it this way, as his son, I'll say that's the best service he's ever preached. And uh, it, was, it was a phenomenal outpouring of God. You just saw people that just sat there almost stone-faced at times, just come alive with the, with the Lord and begin to worship and begin to just enter in, not just to the singing, but into the, the Word. And it, it loosed something amongst the people that gave them a, a closer walk with the Lord, if I could say it that way. And, uh, and then Sunday morning we had a service as well. Brother Tim spoke on the filial love trap, um, which was also a phenomenal service. God really moved on the hearts of one man, one brother, um, who's kind of been on the outskirts of the church there in Addis, and a lovely brother, but he, he wanted to introduce his church. He wanted to speak before the service, and God had it, so he showed up late to the services. And he came late, and they said, well, you could still come up afterwards. And he come up afterwards to introduce his church and introduce what he was going to say, and he got up to say, and he said, there were some things I wanted to say that after hearing the word, I can't say anymore. He said, God so dealt with my heart that I, I, I need to just say, I love you all. <laughs> and he began to bring out, and he said, I've got two books I need to show you that, that I need to show you that are, are, have been such a blessing in my life. And he brought out the first book, and it was the family altar book. And he said, the man that preached this morning put this book together. He says, and it was this book that gave me a love for my Bible. And he says, and the second book I need to show you all that you need to make sure you read is the Bible. He says, it will do you wonders. No, don't just read the message. He said, the message is good. It came to illuminate the Bible. He says, but it comes from the word. Amen. Amen. Uh, amen. So we had, uh, here this is brother. We'll get into more of these. But this is brother Ephraim here, brother Tesfa, brother Saged, brother Mogus is the pastor here. This is Brother Ephraim. He got married a year ago on May 20th. He spent his anniversary with me, his first wedding anniversary. Uh, bless him. We, we dedicated their, their first baby, uh, baby Shekinah, a uh, lovely little boy. And they just they, they had him, and they desired him to be dedicated there by Brother Tim. Um, he he uh, married this young sister from, I don't remember her name, from Uganda. They, they, they've, uh, the joke was on the weekend they would go and conquer Brother Mogus married a girl from Kenya, Sister Mercy. He went and conquered Kenya. Brother Ephraim married a girl from Uganda. He went and conquered Uganda. So the Ethiopian people are strong people. <laughs> Amen. But this is the picture of the church here. I know it's small, but from the back of the church is where Tim was preaching. You see all the different people uh, uh, laid out, and it kept just filling up even as the services would go on. Myself ministering on the Saturday morning uh, service there. Um, we also, this picture here on the right-hand side is actually Brother Ephraim, Brother Tesfa. Uh, when we were there, we ordained these brothers as ministers and then gave them the right hand of fellowship into, uh, to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've been very instrumental in the moving, uh, uh, in the message going forward in Hawassa, which is where we were on the second weekend. 
Um, they're both brothers that are ministers, and they work there in Hawassa, and they've, they've been used of the Lord. So now there is, with them being ordained, there is now five ordained ministers, Ethiopian ministers, in the country of Ethiopia that are working tirelessly uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, we had four baptisms after that, uh, the first set of meetings. Um, th- three of them were... Uh, not religious before that I know of. These, these three here, two sisters and a brother. This young man right here is Brother Daniel, and he, uh, he was a Pentecostal evangelist that, he, that, the, that the message shared with him, and now he desires to go out and preach the message instead of preaching the Pentecostals uh, doctrine. And so he's, he's, he's a wonderful addition to the church there, and then being able to uh, share it with, with the brothers. And, and there was another a brother that, that also came and and he got a hold of the Lord real in, the, in this weekend of meetings, and God moved on his heart. He's actually an overseer of 41 Pentecostal churches. And he said, I want need to go share this message with those 41 churches. Amen. 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 These are the brothers here. I just say this this way. And Brother Mogus here, his wife, Sister Mercy, and their son, uh, Levi. And uh, he's the pastor there in Addis, and God is really using him and really has a pastor's heart to be with the people and to use the peop- and to uh, use all the funds and everything he can for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And he's, during COVID or right before COVID, there was a group of about 40 believers, a number of different, about 10 families, I think, or maybe more than that, and some, some singles on top of that, that uh, about 40 believers that before COVID hit, they, were, they started to kind of break up the pastor, you know, that when the, when the shepherd's smitten, the sheep will scatter. And the, and the shepherd, the, the pastor went away and, and, and ended up falling in sin. And, uh, and the sheep just didn't have anyone to really gather with them. And then COVID struck and they, they didn't know there was another church in a disc. They were just worshiping on their own. They were doing the best they could. And, and uh, they, they had completely scattered to the point where they said, that's it, the message is over in Ethiopia. When, when the COVID hit and they couldn't get together anymore, there was no pastor to take care of them. And it come about, not even six months ago, Brother Mogus hears wind of this and, and gets wind of it from another brother in the area. And he, he begins to look up and begins to contact every family to the point where now most of them have come back into fellowship. And most of them are there in the church in Ethiopia and God has restored them. They were, they were mostly there on that weekend that we were there in Addis as well, and God was blessing them. The other brother you see is, is Brother David. He's the deacon, and this is, is his wife here and his son. And uh, he's the deacon there in, in Addis Ababa, and uh, a wonderful, wonderful brother. He's also our driver. He's a, um, a professional driver. He drives diplomats and high-ranking people that work for the African Union around the city and around the country wherever they need to go. And, but every time that we come over there, he gets permission to use that vehicle that he drives diplomats in to drive a couple white men around to, to preach the gospel. So we're very, very thankful for him and, and, and what God's enabled him to do for the kingdom of God. And wonderful deacon brother as well. Um, very faithful. Amen. I wanted to say then, then we had, after those meetings in Wasa, the meetings in, in Addis Ababa were Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when we had a day of rest on Monday, 
And Tuesday we had some meetings with the brothers, and Monday I'm thankful for the day of rest as I was basically laid out on my back and unable to uh, function properly, I'll say it that way. But um, God gave me grace. By Wednesday I was ready to go and I was able to travel to Hawassa on my own. I, I traveled on, on Wednesday, flew down to Hawassa. We were originally going to drive, but the brothers said, well, just a few days ago, some bandits had taken over some cars, held some people for ransom, burned the cars down. I think a couple of white men should probably fly. So we, we took their advice and flew. And uh, we, we just got a little plane ride down there to Owasa. It's about a half an hour plane ride. It'd be like from here to, uh, about from here to Vancouver in a plane ride. But uh, was very was able to go a couple of days ahead of my dad. He came on Friday. I went on Wednesday. And uh, it was, I don't have pictures of it. That's why I've just got a blank screen up there. But we flew down on Wednesday. Wednesday night, I was able to meet with two brothers, uh, two men. Um, one of them is a Pentecostal pastor of about 5,000. His name is Brother Rook. And uh, another one is a Foundations of Christ overseer. And as far as I understood, he, overseed between, he oversaw between three and 500 churches in the, in the southern region of Ethiopia, and uh, his name is Brother Tigus, and both of them had received and believed the church age book. Both of them had, had got a hold of it and read it, and they, they begin to realize this is the truth. This is what the Bible teaches, is what's written in here in the church age book, but they all had this question, which is, why William Marion Branham? Why do we got to, why has it got to be a man? Why has it got to be a prophet? What's the big significance over him? I don't understand this. And over there, you have to understand, in, in Ethiopia is a very religious country, a very religious country. They've got uh, a s different sects of, sects of um, religions that tie their roots, some of them back to Solomon and the queen, of, the queen of the South that came up to visit Solomon, and they've got, they believe that they're the keeper of the ark, and whether they are or not is completely irrelevant, to be honest, because we are the tabernacles of God. But, but they, they, they believe that, so they're very religious, and, and they know their Bible. There's some of them now that tie their roots back to the, the eunuch that Philip shared the gospel to, and he came back, and, and, and they call that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which has long been dead. I'll say it that way. But they're still going on, that they believe they really are. I was, I, we were looking at a church. I was able to go out on the lake there, and there was a church in Hawassa, great big full of scaffolding and everything. And I said, what, what's that church for? And he said, well, that's a Ethiopian Orthodox church. I said, well, how long has it been under construction? He says, years. I said, how long will it be under construction? He said, years. I said, why is that? And he said, because they're waiting for special stones that are blessed to come and build the church with these stones upon this rock. <laughs> and they believe that these stones need to be in the church. So they, they need to build their church with these sacred, holy stones. And so it takes forever to build. And I thought, oh my, they've, they've, they've left off the real power of the Lord for so long. They're looking for a literal rock to build a church with. And somehow that will make the glory of God in there. But they've got all these different uh, religious avenues that they go down. And, and, and I'll say it this way, even if you look down a crowded street in Ethiopia, there's a chance, a high chance, that there's a prophet on that street or someone that considers themselves a prophet. There's just everyone, there's posters everywhere, come see this prophet, come see that prophet. Every revival meeting is held and led by a prophet. It's prophet, prophet, prophet. So to them to accept a prophet is very difficult. 
for them to accept someone. Why is he different? Why is, why is it a different prophet? Or why is William Branham so important? I don't understand. We all got prophets everywhere. So that's the, kind of the way they look at it. But they can look at the truth in the message and see that's what the Bible teaches. And this is really is the truth. And, and, and why don't we teach this in our churches? And they want that in their churches, but they don't want to say William Branham in their churches, which honestly is fine. Oh, I should have got a louder amen than that. Because <laughs> you can't separate a message from the messenger. So as I begin to talk with them, the best way I can say it is this way, that the Holy Ghost in me begin to expound to them all the scriptures concerning the seventh church age messenger. And just for an hour and a half, we sat down for coffee. I didn't have any notes. I didn't have anything pre-prepared. I just began to speak to them. They, they would ask one question. I'd speak to them for 20, 20, 30 minutes. They'd ask another one. And just the Lord began to expound all of their questions in a way that I didn't have pre-planned. I didn't understand what was, why it was this way. But in the end, they came at the end. They just said, but we just can't see William Branham in the Bible. I said, well, that's fine. Can you see yourself in the Bible? <laughs> Can you see John the Baptist in the Old Testament? It's called the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But you won't find the word John. He's called the seventh church age messenger. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, he's called, I'll send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But you won't find the name William, Marion Branham, no. But he's in there. Can you see yourself in the Bible? Amen. So I begin to bring it to them that way, and they really went away, I'll say, with their hearts burning within them. And really, I'm amazed by the fact that it's like walking in the book of Acts when men, they hear the truth, but because of their position, they don't want to receive it. Because they finally came to the question where they said, the one man asked me, he said, how can I receive the message but not the messenger? I said, that's a great question. Because if you've already received this message, you've received the messenger. Whether or not it's a revelation to you is not my problem. But you've already received him. And one day you'll get the revelation of it. So the next day after speaking with them, I was, or let me share this first, Brother Ephraim, who I was with, he had gone and, and shared the message with one of the, with actually the head of the UPC denomination in Ethiopia. That was, I believe, the way he described it to me. And he said, the man said, I'll give you 10 minutes to talk to me about this new doctrine, whatever you're bringing me. So he came in for 10 minutes, and he just stood there, and he began to speak to him. He said, cancel all my meetings. We're staying right here. He spoke to him the entire day on the message of the hour. And at the end of it, the man went away, like I believe it was uh, Festus, and said, I, I've, you've almost convinced me. He said, but because of my position, there's no one else I could take my position. And he said, if I accept this, I have to leave my position. I thought, oh my. There's some that won't, but there's some that will. There's a man, like I said, said, I oversee 41 churches. He said, I'll take this message to those 41 churches. If they're predestinated, they'll come. Some come fast, some come slow. But you know what? If they're the seed of God, they will come. Thursday morning, I was supposed to go actually speak. They'd arranged for me to speak at this one brother, Tigus, at his Bible school and, and to come and speak to all his students, and we were still good to go. Thursday morning, we were just getting ready, Brother Ephraim and I, to leave and go to the, to the Bible school, and you got a phone call from him saying, you know, I think I'm going to cancel because I'm scared he'll mention William Branham. 
And I said, tell him it's okay. I can preach the message without mentioning the messenger's name. That's fine. I don't need to say the name. And he said, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm scared that if you say it, I'll, I'll be in trouble and everything. I said, all right, that's fine. We won't go. He said, but you can come speak to my council. I've got all my ministers that I'm under. I'll gather them together this afternoon. You can come speak to them, and you can tell them about this, and we'll discuss whether this is true or not. I said, no. I said, I've already showed you the light. It's up to you to receive it. This is the condemnation that's sent into the world. God sent light into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. I said, so you've already received it. Now you tell your men about it. So that was where that laid. <laughs> really is, as I said, like walking in the book of Acts to see just how the message goes forth. And they want to bring them before the council and say, we'll put this on trial. They've actually threatened some of the brothers, said, you don't preach this name, William Branham. I said, praise God. He said, what do you mean? I said, they told them in the book of Acts, don't you preach this name, Jesus Christ. I said, so don't worry about it. Satan's always against the truth. Just preach the truth. Amen. We'll come back to those. Don't worry. This is Thursday night here. Thursday night we had a meeting in... Hawassa, this was just some of the local believers because of some of the, the, the trouble that's in the country. Some of the ones that live farther out aren't able to come to a close uh, meeting because they aren't able to drive anymore. They have to walk, and it's dangerous to walk at night now, so, and, and they can't drive anymore because a lot of them are without jobs right now because of the, 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 the state of the country, and gasoline has gone up to almost $2 a liter in a country of people that the average wage is less than $12,000 a year. So they're, it's hard to drive. Next time you're at the gas pump, just think of Ethiopia going, Lord, this ain't so bad. <laughs> it's hard, but you know what? The message is still going forward. The people, it, it takes a squeeze like that to get the people to realize, I need God, I need the truth. So we had a wonderful time here on the Thursday night. I tried to speak on, uh, on um, sorry, where are we at here? There we go. I tried to speak on your attitude towards the anointed word, but really I, God just took over the meeting and I realized about halfway, about right away in that I didn't need any notes because the Lord took over it as right away when I, when I got to the pulpit, there's no sound system, as you can see, there's no sound system there and I, I began to preach, the rain started coming down. If you've ever lived in a house with a tin roof, you know what rain sounds like on a tin roof. And it just started pounding down to the point where I had to come down and I just begin to preach like this. I had the translator here and I was preaching. And then the Lord said, and he would translate it this way and I'm right in front of them because that's the only way they could hear me. And he began to preach like that and I realized after about five minutes, I'm not even preaching what's on my notes. I don't need my iPad anymore. So I just put that aside and we began to minister and the Lord took over it and God really laid a foundation for the weekend of meetings that was coming up for those people and we had a wonderful time in the in the presence of the Lord. And uh, I'll say it this way, that, that we, after that we had the, the weekend meetings where it was a service on Saturday morning, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. I spoke the Saturday morning service on thy husband calleth for thee. Spoke a lot on Esther. There we are with myself, Brother Tesfa translating for me there. Sorry, the pictures are kind of dark. And all, all the believers you've seen the, in the previous photo, how it was just 15 people, but now... You've got it filled up. There was about, I think, about 100 to 125 people there in the end of how many people came to those meetings in, in Hawassa. 
And uh, we had a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. Brother Tim spoke on Sunday night on uh, the inheritance uh, revealed and then spoke on Sunday morning on human weakness. And uh, I believe the Lord had his way in those services. I want to just go back now. There we are. This is Brother Ephraim. He's a young brother. He's about 23 years old. Married a year ago. Has one child now. But just on fire for the Lord. This is the brother at 23 years old went and shared the gospel to the leader of the UPC church. This is the brother who's actually, he stood before one of their councils before and shared Jesus Christ with them today. Shared with them the message at 23 years old. This is one of the brothers that's translating the message on, on a regular basis. He works as a, as, has a little cleaning business that he just goes and cleans little shops and little places whenever he can in order to provide for his family. On top of that, his family, his wife and daughter, live in Addis Ababa with his mom because this is his home in Hawassa. No, that, that is his home. That's all of it. About the size of, well, smaller than my master bedroom, to be honest with you. Smaller than most of ours. Just a little tiny place. That's all he's got. But he loves the Lord. And he's serving the Lord with all his heart. And he's such a happy, wonderful brother. I really enjoyed my time with him. And he's been instrumental there in spreading the gospel around in Hawassa and further out from there. And uh, he's actually one of the reasons that we're, right now we're working on putting the podcast, the End Time podcast, we're working on putting it onto Telegram. Um, because in Ethiopia, Telegram is one of the um, largest used social media networks that they can, they can use quite easily. It doesn't use a lot of data. It's easy to connect to. It's easy to get on. And uh, it's very secure, so they use it. And they're able to go. We can broadcast our episodes directly on Telegram, and they can download them real quick and then listen to them over and over and over again. He said the, the podcast that we've put on, the End Time podcast, that we did for local missions here, is that it has been used incredibly in Ethiopia where they've listened to it a lot there. And so, and, and, and our statistics are completely skewed because we've shared some of our statistics before of there's so many listens in Ethiopia. What that really is, someone's downloaded that and then shared it with people and it's gone forth in that way. There's been a lot more listens than even what we have record of going on. Um, he was also, this was one of the brothers that was ordained as a minister this time. He's, he's um, a major part of the church there in Hawassa. These are some of the other brothers I was able to spend some time with, brother. This brother right here is a brother in Hawassa. He was a minister of the gospel um, through a different denomination, and then he got a hold of the message, and he just, he's got a sharp mind, an incredible mind that he, brother Tesfa, which is this brother right here, he's also a minister, and he would tell me, I've preached something two months ago that this brother will come and start to talk to him about and say, I remember you said this, and you said this, and this, and this, and this, and he'll remember everything about it, but he can't read. So he says, brothers, just sit there and read the message to me, and I'll remember it. So they'll just read the message to him, and he just remembers it, and he goes out and he shares it out in other places and begins to witness to other people. And it's amazing how God works in different ways. It's kind of like a few fishermen that can't even sign their own name, but they had a real experience with God. This is Brother Ephraim here on the motorbike. They call him Fat Ephraim because Brother Ephraim, the 23-year-old, the skinny Ephraim, and this is fatty for you. But uh, he's a real wonderful brother. He, he loved to spend some time with us. And very busy brother. He's, 
He's really been working. He works three jobs right now, trying to just get everything together for his family. His wife is just starting to come to church, and he's just received the message, and they see the truth of it, been baptized. He's been baptized. She hasn't yet, but she's starting to come out, and, and really the, the biggest thing she's struggling with is she says, but my, I got to give up my pants. I got to give up my makeup, and he's going, yeah, that's fine. Give it all up. This is the truth, and, but they're coming. Amen, and, and uh, um, let me share it this way. Brother, Brother Tesfa here, he's a minister of the gospel, and God's really done a work in his life in the past, just the past year, where he's been preaching and preaching. He actually, he'll, he'll preach a, on the Sunday morning, every second Sunday morning in the church in Hawassa, and then he goes home every Sunday, and he has a group of people that aren't yet believers, and he just shares with them from the church age book. They study the church age book together. And they just begin to read it and study it and go through it with a, with a group of people that, and he says, those are some of the most exciting times he's ever had because he, there's always somebody that'll stand up and say, well, I don't think this is quite right. And, I, and, 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 and then you have to try and talk and this is where it is in the Bible and this is how you understand it. And, and uh, with all these brothers, I was able to sit for a number of times because Friday we didn't have a service, but I was in Hawassa with them. They were able to show me around the little town. It's a little touristy town. And... Uh, but able to spend time with them and answer their questions. Some of them had questions about what does this mean in the church age book? What does that mean? And how do we go through serpent seed? And what, what was the serpent seed? Is it, is it serpent nature, serpent seed? What does it mean? And different questions we were able to answer on the Godhead and, and some of them about the millennium, different things that, that just it's on their heart and they're wondering about. And God was really moving in a, in a very special way on their hearts. They just, they love the Lord. They'll talk about it all day. This is Brother Tomeskin. I apologize for the sloppy Photoshop. I did it mostly on my phone. But uh, I, I couldn't get a picture of him and his daughter and his wife together. I couldn't never get them together, but I managed to get a picture of his wife and a picture of him and his daughter so I could put them together for you. So this is him and his wife and his daughter. They had phenomenal testimony here with, with them that they even, he was the choir director in a large denominational church in Hawassa, and she was one of the choir members. So they, they, they sang that way, and, and they were very much used there and, very, and paid very well by the denominational church. Um, but they, about three years ago, he come in contact with the message, and he began to believe it. This was back when the church in Owasa wasn't even a church. It was just in a brother's living room, and he was actually the first um, convert in the town of Hawassa, the first Hawassan that was converted. And uh, as, he, as he began to accept the message and he's begin to read it in the, in the books that he was given, he says, I just have two questions. What about, um, what about marriage and what about, the church, what about this water baptism? And they said, well, and I love the answer they gave because they were at the time, the brothers at the time were just very young in the Lord as well. And they said, well, why don't you just go home and pray about it and come back to the next service? Sometimes that's the best answer we can give. Because he went home and prayed about it, came back to the next service and says, I need to be married to my girlfriend, and I need to get baptized. So the Lord moved on his heart in the Lord's own way, and he, he, was, he was baptized right away. He ended up getting married to his then-girlfriend, and now they got married, and then she got pregnant. Um, shortly after she got pregnant, she started to experience some extreme abdominal uh, discomfort and not understanding what it was, and they went in to get checked out, and they began to discover that her small intestine was actually twisted completely around and unable to pass anything through it. They had to insert a tube in through the nose and down in order to help her and give her relief. 
Um, and they begin to tell him, the, the doctors begin to tell him, said, well, the baby's just a few months along. I think it was four months along. They said, why don't you just abort the child, save your wife. You can have another child later. Don't worry about it. But something on his heart, just being a new believer in the Lord, less than six months saved in the message. And he said, it just didn't sound right. Said, so I went home and I just began to pray. I just began to wait on the Lord. He says, went on this way for a few months. He said, it came to the point where the baby was old enough. They said, okay, the baby's old enough now. We can do a cesarean. We can take the baby out. There's a 90-something percent chance the baby will live, and we can operate on your wife, and she'll be okay, and everything will be fine. We can do it this way. And he said, well, let me just pray about that too. So he went home, and he began to pray about that. He began to wait on the Lord. Well, it turns out he prayed until about nine months. The whole time she was in discomfort but not complaining. She delivered the child completely naturally, and when they went in to check her intestine, it was completely normal. Amen. Amen. That's a man that had less than five message books, but had faith in God. And God's provided for him. He's actually a phenomenal man. I'll share it with you this way. He spent... Two years of his life, he got a diploma in law, but there was no jobs in, as a lawyer. So he spent another five years of his life, and he got a civil engineering bachelor's degree in five years. There's no work as a civil, engin civil engineer there right now. So he spent seven years of his life getting a diploma and getting a degree for which there was no work. But in the process of time, he also got himself a barber's license, and he's working as a self-employed barber right now, just trying to make ends meet. And I didn't realize it was this way until just yesterday as I was texting Brother Mogus. I misunderstood the story until yesterday where he said he was actually still working. He was working as the choir director in order to make ends meet still, even though he was believing the message, coming to, message, coming to the message church, coming to the services, and then going over to the nomination church, leading the choir, and then going back to the message church to still get paid by them. So that way he could provide for his family. But he said... During the weekend of meetings in Hawassa, the Lord moved on his heart. When my dad was preaching on character, moved on his heart, and he said, I have to let go of that. God will provide for my needs. So now all he has left is a little bit of barbary work that he does, and that's all he's doing. But he says, God will provide for me. I'll make it work. God will be sure I won't go hungry. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. He said, the Lord will provide for it, and I'll share it with you this way. This here is his home. He's got a wife and daughter, and they're all living in this room right here. This is where they get water. Remember that? That's called a well. No, not the wells that we have where it's 100 feet deep, and it's a bucket on a pulley. Lower it down, pull it back out. That's the artwork they have on the, on the wall. It's just a picture of him and his wife on their wedding day. That's all they have. This is one home, two home, three home, four home, five home, six home, seven home, and he lives in one of those. And on the corner of the lot, he's got a little shop that opens to the outside. And that's his little barber shop. That's where he cuts hair. And we went there, and we, Brother Tesfa got a haircut, and he really wanted to shave my beard off. He said, please sit down, let me. I said, if you shave my beard off, my wife will say, what'd you do with my husband? Can my husband come back from Ethiopia now? <laughs> so just a real lovely brother, one of the happiest men, and his wife, one of the happiest women I've ever met just in love with the Lord and just happy and joyful to find out they don't have anything. He spent seven years of his life pursuing a career that he doesn't even have. And he said, but I've got the Lord Jesus. That's enough for me. 
Amen. We just will close with this, the different needs that are there. First and foremost, our prayers. Our need, if you think of the believers in Ethiopia, pray for them. There is, in fact, a growing concern of denominational persecution. As I said, they've already told them, don't you preach, don't you talk about that name William Branham around here. They've already threatened them that way, and they feel that there's more persecution coming, so just pray for them, that God will provide for them. Printing, they need more material. They need English material, because the modern education being done is being done in English. The universities there are teaching in English now. Same thing as they're doing in Uganda where they're teaching a lot of English. And they said, we could really use some more English books as well. So their, their English reading and speaking population is rapidly growing in the urban areas. The funds, they need more funds for increased translation. They have about, I just looked on the Message Hub, they have about 30 translations on the Message Hub in Afanaroma. And they have about 30 translations in Amharic plus the Church Age book. They need more trusted laborers in the field and funds to send local brothers into the field. It's very expensive to go. As I said, they've got to drive out there, but it's almost $2 a liter for fuel, and they'd make very, very, very little money. I thought I'd put this up there. This is what, this is what the translation looks like. I don't know if you can see that very well. This is, this is what Amharic looks like. I thought it was amazing there. I was, I was speaking in a, in a service, and I said, you know, about the word of God. He said, he will not allow one jot or one tittle to pass away. Which in English to us, that means a, a letter or a, or a punctuation. To them, that means a whole lot more in Amharic. Every little swoop, every little line, every little thing means something to them. It's very difficult to translate into that language. Which I thought was interesting because they have their own alphabet and everything. That's Amharic, very close to Aramaic. And then you have Afanaromo, which is, they use the English alphabet to translate into but a lot of double letters s-a-g-l-a-l-e-e-h-a-f-u-u-r-a a lot of double letters like this word here w-a-a-q-a-y-y-o-o-t-t-i i have no idea how to pronounce that but they do and uh, that's that's the way they have to translate things there and it's 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 mind-blowing to me but the brothers work tirelessly in it to get the message in their own language Amen. As I said, they need funds to send local brothers and some of the reasons why. It costs a lot to take the message into the far reaches, but they sacrifice everywhere they can. And by the grace of God, the message books have gone to the four borders of Ethiopia. Amen. That's Ethiopia 2023. Let's stand to our feet. Don't you love the Lord? There's something about savoring the things of God and not the things of men. When you see people like this and they just, they love the Lord, they don't have anything of men. They're just poor, but they're real. They love the Lord and they just, they'll do everything they can for the message to move forward. I spent lots of time with the brothers there, was able to encourage the different ones. I only spoke three times while I was in the country as far as to a congregation like this, but was every day with brothers, just answering questions, fellowshipping with them, encouraging them, and, and uh, it was really good to be there. The young brothers were very encouraged in going there. Before I left, the brothers there, Brother Tesfa, Brother Ephraim said, you haven't even gone yet, and we miss you already. Please come back soon. So 
by the grace of God, I'd love to go back again sooner than later, but we'll just leave that in the hands of the Lord and appreciate your prayers and the mission work going forward. Amen. Amen. Maybe we can sing. Do you have a more upbeat song? I've been talking just kind of downbeat the whole time. Every praise to our God. That's wonderful. Amen. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one Yes. 